This show is brought to you by Brain First Training Institute, ICF accredited coach certifications and applied neuroscience training. To become a brain-based coach, get certified in applied neuroscience and stay up to date with what's happening in the world of applied neuroscience and coaching, join our Brain First community over at brainfirsttraininginstitute.com. Hey, it's Ramon and welcome to Brain Coach Radio, where we hear from expert coaches, leaders and trainers who are using applied neuroscience to help their clients get life-changing results. We discuss various coaching topics, neuroscience insights, business tips and much more, all to help you succeed. Now, let's get into the episode. No interruptions. Enjoy, my friends. Welcome to the show. It's it's great to have you here. (laughs) Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. So let's talk about coaching. Yes. Uh, For our listeners, how long have you been a coach for? Who are you working with? Give us a little bit of of background. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you the answer or as of when I've been a dedicated coach um, because I was in corporate and I was coaching people for a very long time. But I made the uh, shift to becoming a full-time coach and consultant um, six years ago now. Um, And um, my niche is women professionals, mid-level managers plus. And what uh, the mission is I'm on is to get women to the top of their game to help make the world a better place because I firmly believe and very deeply believe that the diversity that women can bring with their leadership style Mm -hmm. can balance out very nicely with the male style and we can truly then collectively make the world better and actually help to solve some of the big crises that we're facing today. So this is the mission I'm on. And as I recognize that this is what I wanted to do, I also uh, decided that to do that, I needed to work with women professionals themselves, but I also needed to work with organizations um, so that not only women are doing the heavyweight lifting, but also um, organizations, governments, societies also evolving to make the environment a place where minority groups in general, women in particular, can come in and express their true selves in a more, much more seamless manner. So these are my two targets, and therefore I work with women professionals directly, and I work with organizations uh, via different means, which I'm happy to elaborate on uh, when the time is right. And I should say that as a true, because in the end it is about diversity and inclusion, as a true diverse practitioner, I also have some men clients, which I treasure as well. Lovely. So what was your uh, career prior to the coaching? Uh, Like when you went, you know, basically, okay, now I'm a dedicated coach. So prior to that, you did some coaching within an organization. So before coming into coaching, I was for 24 years in the corporate world. And uh, I was in what we call the... um, consumer or customer insights function. So it's always been about understanding people. Okay. Now, when, um, when I was 
wearing my corporate hat, I was putting understanding people at the service of growing businesses. And as I moved into coaching, I started to put that um, competence at the service of growing people and growing organizations and businesses via people. Um, so I was doing that for 24 years. And, you know, as I was doing that, I was growing and climbing ranks and I was getting more and more people uh, working for me, reporting into me, reporting into people, reporting into me. And therefore, coaching and also building a more coaching type of environment within um, the groups that I was leading was part of what I was doing. Um, it was the part, honestly, where I was best at. And I think it's really what's driven me through uh, my 24 years in corporate. And um, in my 24 years, 20, my first 20 years were all in one corporation, uh, you know, leading uh, uh, top uh, Fortune 50. And then my last four years, I switched to another leading top Fortune 50 uh, companies. Between these two, I had six months. I had negotiated actually with, with my receiving company, six months sabbatical. And I started to actually take through coaching uh, courses. I wanted to go all the way into certification, but wasn't long enough. And as I got into the corporate new role, you know, I didn't have the time, but I did let them know as I was starting how passionate about I was about coaching. And that was a time where they were also looking to build their internal coaching program. Mm -hmm. So in the first uh, month, I was sort of a sounding board and giving perspective as they were building it. And then I joined them as uh, one of their internal coaches. So that was the way for me to keep in touch with coaching while having, you know, a 150% job. Um, so, but, but it was important to me that what I'd started continues as well, more from a dedicated coaching lens. So this is how I stayed in touch. Mm -hmm. And at what point did the mission become clear? Was that while you were working as an internal coach or did you become a dedicated coach and then the mission became clear? Like at what now, point did that, did that arrive? So let me, let me tell you a bit of a story. It goes back to when I was a little girl. Um, I, I, was, I was fascinated. I loved the idea of becoming a psychologist. I could just see myself sitting one-on-one -on -one with people and having them tell me about their lives and helping them. Um, now, when it was time to choose majors, as I was going to university, it was, um, I got dissuaded. I was young and it was like, ah, you don't want to be, you know, with depressed people all the time. I ended up studying, studying economics and then I did business. And um, when I had to land my first full-time job, I went actually for a job in, again, market research. Uh, and, and, and it was all about understanding people. And, you know, as I joined my, so I, I worked in an agency for like four months and joined this major corporation after that. And, um, and you know, when I think back, I realized I was doing parts of that image I had in my mind. I was sitting with people 
one-on-one or, you know, with some people helping moderate the discussion. And I was listening and understanding. And in my mind, we were using that actually to help put in place solutions that would serve them best. So in a way, I was playing to, to, to this. Um, and uh, And as I said, you know, I was really, really best at my job. And, you know, my, my managers used to tell me that as well. I t- used to recognize that, it, you know, growing people, I love doing that. And, and I now understand that my strengths are in that direction as well, much more than anything else. And um, so I think as I was a, about turning 40, my career was going really nicely, but I really started to have these questions like, is that it? Is there something else for me? And, but I, I, it was very unclear. And then I got started to get into the coaching world. And as I was getting coached, I, you know, I worked on crystallizing my values, Mm. my purpose. And separately, I also myself thought of my strength much more holistically. So when I was in corporate, you know, I used to get things like, yes, and you're good at leadership and innovation and uh, you're you're good at collaborating, et cetera, and growing your teams. When I take like strength tests, really like it's not what stands out. Mm -hmm. So I started to do a lot of introspection and I realized that there were parts of who I am that were deeply satisfied in my corporate career, and there were parts that were much less satisfied. And this is how I realized, and particularly as I worked on my purpose, and part of my purpose I formulated as inspiring others to find their internal light. Mm. I realized that there is... There is some, obviously, I could still do in my corporate career, and I put even more focus on that. But I realized I um, needed a second um, career from a different nature to really honor that. And um, it took me long because one of my values is security as well. And, Mm. you know, it was hard to throw away, you know, the... A baby with the bathwater, uh, but the call was there, and um, and yeah, so I recognized there was an opportunity. You know, there was a restructuring, and my job was disappearing. And I thought I wouldn't be offered anything because I wasn't mobile. But I and I did end up being offered something, but you know, the call was too strong. So, as of a certain point, I decided to just go for it. And I, it was really from the standpoint, if, if it's not now, then when? Yeah. Yeah. Was it, how long did it take, you know, wrestling with that decision to, I guess, accept it, move forward and then transition into business and then get the, the, the coaching side to where you felt a sense of uh, safety, security and, and comfort. Yeah, so I think, so the the restructuring was a trigger. Um, And it started like, let's say like two years before I left, I was part of working on a global project, which I knew then would apply to to my region, the region I was leading. And and I could see that the job was disappearing. And, you know, when when it started, you know, there was a global manager who was like, tell me and we'll, we'll, we'll create a job. But 
the guy left in the interim and I was like, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. So, so I think I had like a year to ease myself into, okay, so not going to happen. And then I started to actively work while still being there on what could it look like? Because I knew I wanted it to be about growing people, but what exactly and which type of people and which approaches, etc. cetera. Um, so I think my, uh, certainly my last six months there, when I, the clarity, when we'd had the discussion and I had the offer and I turned it down, I felt the heat of, <laughs> so what am I doing next exactly? Uh, so I think six months then, and then as I left, as I left, I said, I'm again going to give myself time before going into it, but I, I, I couldn't help it. So when, when, when it comes from the heart, then it's here, it's present. So, um, so I think, so I was a researcher in the corporate world, you know, consumer insights. It's all about doing research, understanding people. And my starting point was to do research. So what my starting point was, and I was being coached back then as well, uh, always good to have a coach on board. Um, he, you know, he had challenged me on very fast timelines to come up with who my niche is. I knew very quickly that it would be women. So my, the other possibility that I was passionate about was, ch was children. But one, because I don't have children myself, I felt I would be less credible. And also because I have a value on um, achievement and results and seeing results, mm -hmm. I thought, okay, so it's going to be um, harder with children because there are so many stakeholders as well, families, uh, educational systems. So it was more complicated. So I thought with women, I also have the experience that gives me credibility, having been an executive myself, bringing that as well to the party. So, so that I knew. And then I started to do, and, and, you know, he challenged me to come to that very quickly, but then I started to do the research to, okay, so what is standing, what are the challenges? What is standing in the way? What, what are the solutions? And lots of desk research, lots of reading, lots of interviewing um, women to come to what ended up being um, one of my base models. Uh, to help women, uh, you know, get to the next level of leadership and navigate the challenges that we tend to face in our careers. And then I did more research on the other side, which is all about the environment and, you know, what, what can drive more inclusiveness so that the environment is friendlier so I did another set of research there and built my models. And then I had the two pieces that I was ready to launch my business with. The one that is most active is the one uh, that, that got mo most traction in the end is the one working, um, you know, helping get women to the next level, navigating these challenges and, and truly being able to fulfill their potential. And I've turned it into clearly individual coaching, but also group coaching. Right now, the group coaching is only in corporations, mm -hmm. uh, but I would love, I need to work on the marketing traction system so that I can offer it also to individuals. Um, so, so, yeah, so all in all, I would say I was all through having some 
individual coaching clients and I was doing research. And I think it took me like six months between the time I left and the time I truly established the company, my website, and truly started to have focus on cre- on, on, on working and, you know, clearly thinking, how do you create traction as well? Um, but yeah, six months, I would say. Mm. And I think, uh, and, and I love that you've, raise this and talk about talked about it in depth because i think it's something that a lot of coaches don't do they don't do the research they don't see this as a a process and particularly spending the the time and the energy invested up front to launch in a way that could you know lead, leads to the uh, an increased likelihood of success from a business perspective and you've drawn on like a lifetime of experience and expertise to begin with, then you're like, right, I know I'm going to get to launching a business, but I've got to think about, you know, what do people want? But also what am I passionate about? What am I good at? Like you're bringing all of these things together before you've even launched the business. Like a lot of, uh, I'm, I'm reminded of this idea of like, you know, whenever you, anyone who's ever renovated a house, whenever you go and paint a wall, you know, that, most of the work is in the preparation and putting the paint on at the end is like, you know, the last finishing thing that you do. It's the thing that it, that looks good and you can stand back and go, wow, I've got, painted this wall, but so much of the preparation is beforehand, you know, the plastering and the filling in the dance and the sugar soap and, and all that sort of stuff, right? Uh, I love it. So much work in to begin with to get to, I guess, like the starting line which can lead to much higher or higher likelihood of success in business. I love this. Absolutely. And I think this is something I would advise any coach to do because in the end, it's also about what are going, what are we going to stand for? And, you know, what are we bringing to the party and just taking the time to reflect into that goes a long way. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I love this. So when you were, when you're now entering into, you know, you've got your mission, you've got your niche, you're targeting all of these things. Um, did you already have some clients at that stage that you'd kept from doing the internal coaching or did you like have a complete break from seeing anyone? How, how did, how did that work? So what worked for me and up until now, and I know I could be, and I should be doing much more and, and, and I'm also working on this, but um, for me, what truly, truly helped is the network. I had no idea while I, while I was in these two corporations and especially the one I was in for 20 years, what a treasure this network was. And what happened is, when I was talking about what I was doing, people started to come in or tell some other people. I had one person whom I had coached in um, when I was still in, in uh, my second corporation who I think after a year actually contacted me and said, I want to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of this, it's been my network who has contacted me for the individual coaching or referred individual coaching clients. Um, 
it was my network um so that that enabled me to launch my this leadership development program that i have into corporations so my very first client um it was the ceo of a comp- of of a company who used to be my boss when i was a very young manager in corporate and he'd seen what I was doing on LinkedIn and he wanted to launch a major diversity drive and he got his HR to contact me. Uh, The other corporation, uh, a huge corporation that I got into, it was a previous colleague who, you know, knew what I was doing and asked his HR to connect. So, so that, that is an incredible, incredible treasure. Um, that has been uh, truly, truly working for me. Um, Now, I also recognize that, you know, I could be doing much more. And that's part of what I'm doing because it's all good that people are coming and it gives you a base level and you feel good because the business is continuing and it's growing slowly, but could it be growing much better and much more? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I was going to say probably, but yes, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I think everyone's answer would always be yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So did you uh, already have a like a, a main coaching model in mind or an, a main approach that you were taking or um, prior to starting something that you were already drawing on when you're doing the internal coaching that you then brought into the next uh into the next coaching phase um where did that that start so i'll tell you it it all started with the first coaching school that i attended when i was between my two companies and they had this nice model of you know help people understand who they are and then you know help them change perspectives and help them get in touch with their emotions, et cetera. So, so that was the starting point. And um, obviously when you start these things, like probably many, many coaches, um, you continue to learn and you continue to take additional courses. I, I, I realized, um, and I think this, this it, it started before coaching. I've been fascinated by the progress in neuroscience and the well, like we are so privileged to live in an era where we understand how plastic our brain is and that we can also shape it the way we want. So I started to also read a lot on the subject. Um, I love reading. So um, and and I think I, I, I realized with time that I was starting to use when you you read a concept you read it again you read it again you know in different shapes and forms different authors you start to apply a bit so it started to impact my practice and um and but you know you you never feel that okay I'm not legitimate enough and it's not like it's not neuro coaching or anything like that and 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 because I was so passionate about this, I was feeling, ah, I need to get to the next level, which is how I looked you up oh. and found that, uh, that there was this course and um, the reason I enrolled and, um, and, and yeah, I, 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 I love this. So for me, the, uh, this piece about um, leading more self-directed lives, 
Mm. Leveraging the plasticity of our brain is just huge. And it's something I'm very passionate about. And that I, you know, as much as I can, want to bring to myself, to the people I love, and certainly to my coaching clients. What, uh, what's your favorite approach or technique or strategy or, or, or thing that you like using with, say, most of your clients? And when I speak to coaches, most coaches have like a go-to. Like, right. I, like I'm always doing like values with my clients. I'm always talking about, you know, the valuation system or it's motivation or something like that. What, what's, have you got a go-to or a favorite? Okay. So I have two favorites. Is it okay to have two? Absolutely. I have two favorites. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not going to be original, but I truly believe in the power of values. And this is one of the things I do in, you know, whenever it's possible, start a coaching engagement with a double session where we talk objectives and define values so that we can also link both, um, you know, in between the two sessions. Um, no, sometimes values definition takes more than a session, but there you go. Uh, so values, uh, because it's such a uh, such a, an easy win for people themselves as they realize this. Like for most of my clients, this is such a breakthrough. Not everyone gets it, but for most of them, it's a breakthrough in its own right. Mm-hmm. And I yet have to meet someone who would come in and tell me all of their values. So it's not like it's not like people think about it or articulate it for themselves. So it truly makes a difference. Absolutely. And the my other uh, and the other reason I, I love values is it's a coaching tool itself, right? Like so is this objective important enough for you? Why is it important? What's the motivation behind? You know, you have a choice. How can your values help you make a choice so how can your values help you shift perspective or so it, it's an it's an amazing coaching tool so mm-hmm. values is is one of my go-tos and the oh, other oh, one before we get on to the second one um can yeah. i ask you about the value so uh you mentioned that you were doing values a values-based approach early on in in your coaching what was What's been the difference between when you're approaching values prior to the neuroscience and then post-neuroscience or integrating some of the neuroscience? Has the approach changed? Have the tools changed? Like how's it how's it developed over time? So the tools have not changed. <laughs> what, what has changed though is with, and, and it's it it applies to other things as well. After I've taken the course, what, what changed is I understand how it all fits together. So I think my whole attitude and the, I, I brought a lot to comf- of confidence into it because I'd already seen it in action and seen its power, but it almost goes to the next level because you see how it connects and how it's it's part of this bigger system of how do you make your brain work for you. Yeah, so, yeah I've noticed that as well. And with other coaches that I've spoken to, it's like, um, many of them are like, oh, well, I was doing these things before, but now I have just such a richer understanding of like why and how and seeing it as, you know, one of these pieces of puzzles, like a puzzle piece within the puzzle. And I can see how all the other pieces are now fitting together. And even if the exercise is the same, the understanding is different, which 
I'm sure shifts how we present it, approach it, leverage it, what comes after values, like. Absolutely. Your thoughts? Um, I, I think in terms of values, we're, we're, we're good. It's a, it's a, you know, something I truly love. The other, the other go-to is, um, is visualization. And it's, and that's another piece where your course has also helped me understand much more why this is so powerful, but it's about getting them out of the today into seeing a future where they have realized their objectives and getting them into that emotion and activating the parasympathetic nervous system, et cetera. And then based on that digging also, and it, it it's really been working in ter- for me in terms of digging into, okay, so what has changed in this environment? What have you done differently? What is the one thing that has triggered that change? And, and so we get deep into that visualization, get them to think, dream, and then bring them back and see, you know, what, um, what have been your takeaways. And this typically also creates so many breakthroughs for people. Um, and, you know, I used to do, uh, quite a bit of that, but after this course, I knew why it was so important to do. And I actually also started to to do it more in terms of, you know, when people were coming in with negativity and to help draw them out whenever they needed to really start to think about the future. So it got me to the next level of, of application of what is something that I find in my own practice to be immensely, immensely powerful for, um, for, for, for my clients. Yeah. I, I love the mental time travel going off into the future, looking back, like it's, it's in some cases, it's just an instant shift for people. And mm-hmm. it's funny because we can do that, that mental time travel and place ourselves at a different time which can shift our emotional state, but the emotions are always felt in the now. So it's kind of this, I don't know, like a trick to our mind in a way that, um, which just provides such a, a, an amazing shift and can give people a different perspective on, on their attachment to how they're feeling in the now or the problem that they're having now by seeing it from a different time. Yes. Right. And looking back, I love that. What, um, what are some of the, can you share some of the insights that some of your clients have had when you take them through the, vi- the visioning and the values and these sorts of things? So I think the, probably the biggest tends to be that I can do it. Mm. I can do it. What I didn't say, what you, what the course brought me as well, is the whole piece about the mental contrasting afterwards, uh, mental contrast, action, etc. So that that was that was also let's talk about that at the moment. Yes. Um, so, but but before we got into that, I think it's a very empowering exercise because what I find is, um, and certainly my my client, like women, tend to have this inner voice, this inner critic that is telling them that they can't do it, et cetera. It's even more active than for men. There are some actually 
uh, physiological regions for reasons for that. And nurturing doesn't help either. But there, there are so many ways in which we gate ourselves and don't allow ourselves to believe. And just taking a minute to see ourselves in that future that we desire and feeling that and sensing that it can be possible in its own right mm. is a huge enabler. It's almost like what makes the impossible possible. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but to make a point, it, it becomes possible. They see it. Okay. And, and, and the emotions that they experience can sometimes be the, the types of things they want to tap into. It's possible. I feel so proud. I feel so happy. So I think these are some of the things to, to tap into. Um, the other thing that comes sometimes is, um, and you know, the barriers are maybe not as big as I thought. Uh, so it truly brings a sense of empowerment and possibilities uh, for them um, that can propel them um, that can propel them into action and then the, the mental contrasting can can help propel the action piece as well. Um, but it, it's essentially it's about bringing the self-belief, I think, that it can be possible. I can see myself doing it. It's not. It's not as out there as I thought. And is that something that the majority of women that you're working with experience? Like, is this something that many of them are experiencing, having these insights? So I, I, I have to say, it's, it's, maybe it's a big statement, but I don't remember of an, in, of an instance where this experience hasn't worked, actually. Um, it, it, it really, really works. I would say pretty much every time. And now the breakthrough may be bigger for some, not as big for others, but there is always a real step forward in terms of feeling that things are, can be real and that it's up to them. In terms of, I think, mean, yeah, essentially it's empowerment is the big thing that we yeah. can then use to propel them into action. Yeah. And, and of course, we know from the, the neuroscience literature that we've been through that spending more time in this positive emotional attractor, you know, the ideal self in the, in the ideal future, dreaming of the future uh, with the parasympathetic nervous system activity, default mode network, positive affect, but we need to be spending and coaching people to spend more time there but we also know from the mental contrasting that you've that you've mentioned that we don't want to just stay there all the time and that's one of the problems is that if we stay thinking about this ideal future all the time we actually in a sense we're giving our our mind or our brain uh, the the feeling of what it would be like to actually accomplish that and then what we get this state of relaxation because in our mind we've actually accomplished it right <laughs> because sometimes it can be so powerful and then we need to contrast it against the current reality and the obstacle that's in our way and to make the obstacle the path to accomplishing the thing and i think that's what has been left out of so many um, goal setting and visualization 
courses and programs is this contrasting part, which of course we're, we're drawing on the work of um, Gabriel Luttingen, who um, constructed this idea of mental contrasting, contrasting the vision of the future with the obstacle in the current reality. And it's by making that contrast that provides the energy to take the action to overcome the obstacle to actually achieve the desired future, right? And it's just, exactly. such, a, it's just such a beautiful, uh, uh, let's call it a technique, and approach. Like it's just such a beautiful strategy that we're using here. Yeah. What, what, what are some of the, the, can you share some of the obstacles that, that perhaps many people that you're working with have brought up or raised? Like, and, and this is the, the little twist that I love from Gabriel Luttingen. She says, ask the question, not what's the obstacle in the way, but what's the obstacle in me, which brings, which I think gives us more um, control and power and even empowers us to then have more control over this thing because it's within us. It's not some obstacle outside of us that might be, you know, the obstacle might be, oh, I've got to raise $10 million. Well, actually the obstacle is, you know, perhaps the creativity to reach or the, or the confidence or the courage to reach out to people who I could actually get the $10 million of funding raised from that's something I can control in the 10 million, not maybe not necessarily like following this example. So what, what are the, some of the things that, that have come up for obstacles in the way? So what I find is a lot of times the obstacles relate to the mindset piece and it's very it, it, we've talked, you know, it can be their inner critic. Uh, no, no way. You're not good enough. You're not going to, to, to be able to do it. Sometimes it's um, just not giving themselves the permission to go uh, into truly articulating what it is that I want because oh, no, you're not going to be able to do it anyway. And therefore, not having the clarity on what it is that they truly achieve. And, you know, as you work with them on getting into clarity, you know, take away what tells you that you, you cannot achieve and, and, and clarify what it could be, then, then they can have also some, um, some breakthroughs. And very, very, very often, perfectionism stands in the way. The whole fear of, well, what if it doesn't work? This whole fear of, I hate the word failure. So in my program, you know, we talk about failure and try to relabel it into setbacks because it's only a failure if you just stop and not learn anything from it. And otherwise it can be, you know, just this stepping stone to the next, to your next level. But it's this fear of failure is, is a huge thing. And, and to be honest, I also recognize it in myself. Like I, I truly work on myself and then I see different manifestations of it still coming through right so um but I very much see it in my clients this fear of failure can be huge and 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 another barrier that I see often is um the piece about you know this fear of it's it's always it's very often fears right the fear of um being very visible and being out there, which probably goes back to a fear of rejection or, and, you know, Pizza like. And whatever else it might be, you know, putting yourself out there on the line. Yes, then, exactly. And yeah. people laughing at you or thinking that you're stupid or, or these sorts exactly. of things, right? 
Exactly. And 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 putting ourselves out there for women typically. I mean, not all women are the same, obviously, and we're nurtured in different ways, but typically there is this um nice girl syndrome when we're little girls we're recognized for being quiet being in your in our corner listening to what people tell us doing what they tell us etc and getting emotional recognition and reinforcement for that and um this nice girl syndrome doesn't get us to be the loud person you know a boy can be loud and very exuberant and that's okay but little girls less so and so it's it's not natural for us to be there, be the center of attention. And, and, and therefore we need to swim against the current and mm-hmm. it brings lots of fear. So that's another of the barriers that I often observe actually. Where, um, where do you think the, the perfectionism idea comes from? Now, clearly it's not something that is proper to, to women, but the reason I I believe that it's so strong for many women is that essentially in the workplace, women are still new, right? Like we've really started to get into the workplace with, you know, high qualifications and the desire to, you know, rise since the 70s mm. versus men who've been here for donkey's years. We have less role models, less proven path to look up to. Um, we have a, we need to win in a culture that is essentially not ours because the work culture is very male. Um, and we need to do it while, you know, continuing to retain a disproportionate part of household chores. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a tall, a big ask, right? Mm-hmm. So, Lots of hurdles, and yet a deep desire to go and prove ourselves. And therefore, you know, you could look at all the hurdles and think, gosh, so it's going to be, you know, a hit and miss and approach. And But no, we, we want to prove ourselves because we're still new. We have this hurdle and we are also less connected. We don't, we don't have the same support system as men in the workplace. Mm. And therefore, um, we, we are really almost like swimming against the current and not giving ourselves permission to have any type of setback, um, which in the end can help make us smaller because we would take less risks as well um but i think the 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 root cause is this desire to prove ourselves because we're still very new we need to establish our right to be where we are yeah so what's the what do you see is the solution to being able to accomplish the things that are important to when i say us but we're talking about uh, women here in particular whilst not having the downsides of adopting this perfectionism mindset? Yeah. For me, the the unlock is it starts with congruence. It starts with truly understanding who you are, what's truly important to you. Set like objectives, inspirational directions based on that. Once you know there's something you truly want that speaks to you who you are, which will drive this, the motivation, then it's about 
using things like mental practice, seeing yourself doing it, visualizing, uh, managing your inner critic, and then looking at what are the skills that you need to help you get there. Because hopefully for any objective, if it's stretching, hopefully Mm -hmm. it builds on your strength, but is going to stretch you in different ways and being very deliberate about where do I need to stretch? How do I build the competencies, the skills to to stretch. But also, you know, we talked about we don't necessarily have the same type of support that men naturally have, but being very strategic about getting support, getting the mentors, doing everything we can to get the sponsors Mm -hmm. so that we can go. And then as we implement being open to the fact that setbacks are part of the path to success and therefore the resilience to rise from it and grow and learn and then continue to move on and um would and and one of the big things that i that i also call out which also helps the mindset piece is celebrate as much as possible every small bit of progress and that's something that perfectionists don't do, right? Because for a perfectionist, when you get to what you want, it's normal and you've already moved to the next objective, which doesn't help. So celebrating, getting into the spirit of celebrating every bit of progress, reframing what progress is is about. It's yep. not about like major milestones, but small steps in the process as well. And, and celebrating those can mm. also help. Yeah, and actually we even know from the, the neuroscience that micro-celebrations, if really expressed and felt at the time, uh, like positive reinforces, like they actually motivate us neurochemically to want to do more of those things. So, you know, even if you even if we're not good at them or we don't think that, you know, that there might be some little woo-woo kind of thing or maybe oh, I'm just, you know, patting myself on the back here. No, actually it's going to help motivate us and change our behaviour uh, and, and and change our nervous system to do more of that thing. So, absolutely. Yep. What I typically uh, want to get them into, and it it works with many of them, is you know first celebrate with yourself. So integrate, give yourself chance to experience what it feels like to have made this progress. Sometimes they struggle with this, right? Because of course I've made the progress. Yeah, I take it for granted, but it's okay. Give yourself a little treat. I mean, the treat can depend. It can be a small chocolate, a piece of chocolate, or or it could be go and buy this Gucci bag that you were dreaming about, but (laughs) depending on on, on the progress. But, and then, so there's you and yourself, and then there is you and others. Talk about it to others depending on the thing it can be people in your family it can be people at work and and when you start to talk about it as well not only do you integrate it more but you build confidence of others in you because they see your progress more as well yeah i love that where 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 do you see or what would you like to see uh for the future of women in the workplace like let's do our mental time travel and let's go you know, what do we want to do? 10 years into the future, let's say. Um, yeah. What would you like to see happen over the over the next 10 years? You know, for me, what I would love to see happen is that women feel at home in the workplace, not as 
these aliens who are looking to prove themselves. Mm -hmm. But we're at home. We can bring who we truly are without needing to change who we are. Or No, I believe in personal growth. It doesn't mean that we are going to be stagnant, but bringing, continuing to evolve the best version of ourselves and bringing the best versions of who we truly are at work and having the confidence that we can get to what we truly want. Not everyone wants to become a CEO and that's perfect, um, but we can get to what we want just being who we are and continuing to grow. I love that. Actually, that's, that's another really good point, um, which is that, you know, we do want to be, uh, we do want to make personal growth and personal development a part of our lives, but it's not necessarily like changing. I mean, it is changing who we are, but it's also, it, uh, we don't want to provide this frame of, I'm not good enough the way I am, therefore I need to change exactly. or I need to become something else that's not me. So how, how do we, what's a good frame here for saying, you know, uh, accepting of where I am and who I am, but also growing into the person that I want to become without creating this idea that, you know, we're no good the way we are and that's why we need to change. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so the way I think of it, when you have top leaders in organizations whom you want to groom into being, getting to, to higher and higher levels, they often get coaches and they often get into leadership development programs. And this is in no way to say that they are not good, but this is to say that we want to help them be the best version of themselves building on the base of strength that they have. So for me, it's about making your strength stronger is, is the best way to think of it. And then maybe if there are things to address also along the way, address that. And I take this also to, to my practice. So when we talk about leadership development programs for women at some point, and I think there is still some of this, there was this resistance for saying, but why women are not broken, right? And the piece is, well, self-development is not about being broken. You know, if we don't ask ourselves these questions, when we bring, we put our highest talents through leadership development programs, why are we asking ourselves this question in this case? It is about helping people evolve from the base of who they are. And I have lots of debates in, in, my, in my leadership development program from the, um, the, so this is all women, from the women who are there who say, I don't want to change to your point. And the discussion we have typically is how can you lead authentically? So how do you become very clear on who you are as a leader. And it doesn't matter if you have more of a female or male brains, but be very aware of where is your roots, what, 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 what comes to you naturally, but also be very aware that these things are situational and that in certain cases, what comes to you naturally is not what is needed for a situation. So becoming a more rounded leader is about also recognizing where you need to go and practice the other approach and become a more rounded leader 
with that. Always default to your strength when they get you to what the situation requires, but then learn to flex and be more rounded when the situation requires something else. Absolutely. Uh, final thoughts for our listeners? Well, my, my final thought would be really, really go into the depth of what's truly important to you and what you truly are good at and go and pursue that. Because when you do that, when you live that yourself, you are much more credible to everyone else you're going to approach and work with. So congruence for me is a big piece. So get into that and go and pursue what you would be passionate and best at. Beautiful, 100%. Where's the best place for people to connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn? Website? Um, So I am... So both. So on my web, so my company is called Illumine. Um, so uh, my website is www.illumine is e double So it's like mine. Um, and, and I'll tell you a bit where the name comes from. .ch for Switzerland. And uh, Rula Clerk Nassar uh, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm present there as well. And I'm looking to be even more active. I write articles, but I'm, look, I'm going to be looking to, to be doing a bit more there as well. Um, and, and, I, and my name comes from, so L is she in French. Yeah. And when I started, I, I joined this, um, this network, US-based network of women that is called Elevate which yeah. is elevation, but they articulated as E double L E for she elevate. That was a nice okay. play of words that I integrated into the name of my company. I yep. oh, love it. Very cool. Uh, and guys, we'll put the, the links in the show notes uh, so that you can connect with Rilla uh, directly. And it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Loved having you on the Likewise. show. Likewise. Thank you so much, Ramon. It's it's a privilege to be here. And I wish you all the best and all your listeners. There is so much that coaches can bring to the world. So I hope that each and every one of us can go and contribute in the areas they're passionate about. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode. If you want to support the show, make sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and then head over to brainfirsttraininginstitute.com to join our community of coaches. And for resources and products to help you upgrade your brain in life, including interviews with leading neuroscientists and health and high-performance experts, go to mybrainfirst.com. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon.